Good morning. You know, Zach has, am I on, Scott? We turned on? Okay. Zach has done an incredible job uh, working super hard to get all that done. We brought him on staff to do some of this, and, and he has brought us light years from where we were before. The new website is great. The new logo, I love the new logo. So those of you that have our CCC logo on your car, on somewhere else, you're going to have to pull it or put the new one over it. So uh, we'll have some of those stickers out. We're going to have some merch, some hats, some shirts out in the next couple of weeks. And uh, we are just happy to be able to rebrand uh, who we are and what we're doing, uh, a little bit better look than where we've been in the past. And and again, Zach, great job with all of that. So give Zach a, a round of applause. Anybody here watching March Madness? Anybody? It is my absolute favorite sports time of the year because you don't have to be a, a sports fan to watch March Madness. It's that good. I mean, everyone playing with everything they have to try to win, the Sweet 16 was sweet. I mean, it was some, there were some incredible games happening there. The Elite Eight, we're still kind of in the middle of that, where it was pretty good. Florida Atlantic, a number nine seed pulling off the upset. All of the number one seeds in the tournament are now out. It'll be down to the Final Four and then the championship game. And I love the hype of this because anything can happen. Anything can happen. Anything can happen. And it has happened. And we're continuing in this series uh, called I Am, and it's leading us in to this true event where anything can happen and the impossible became possible and did happen. That's Easter. And I'm so excited about that. I'm so excited with Easter coming up. We have three services on Easter this year, Saturday, two on Sunday morning, and, and really want you to jump in a Good Friday experience happening all day long on Good Friday. Might want to stop in for 15 or 20 minutes or an hour. Go bring your friends back to that. that that's some pretty incredible stuff. But when you look at what's happening in this, this kind of leading up to the Easter event, the greatest event in the history of events, when you look at what's happening there, you see Jesus kind of describing himself in some very interesting ways. He describes himself with the... Um, the, the, this title, I am the, and then fill in the blank. So last week we said, we talked about the fact where he said, I am the good shepherd. We're going to get into that a little bit more uh, here today. But when you look at it, there's I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the bread. I am the resurrection. I am the vine. He uses all of those terms to describe himself. And some of those terms are pretty unique. Some of them are kind of deep. Some of them are, are a little bit, you have to think about them to see how they fit. But last week, again, we said Jesus was talking about, I am the good shepherd. And we don't get shepherd stuff. It's not a term that we use much today for something that we're involved with. But when he said, I am the good shepherd, it means this. It means there's a not so good shepherd. And so we have to realize that. We have to dig just a little bit deeper in, into these, uh, the, these sayings. And it also means if he's the good shepherd, who are we? We're the sheep. That's a good thing and a not so good thing, right? I mean, if you know anything about sheep, they're not very smart. They need a lot of guidance. They need a lot of help. They need a lot of protection. And Jesus does that for us. 
And there's also, again, the not-so-good shepherd, which is Satan, which is our spiritual enemy. And his main goal is to hurt, kill, steal, and destroy us. That's his goal. He wants us to fail. He wants us to feel pain. He wants us not to be able to accomplish anything good in this lifetime. And the good shepherd wants just the opposite of that. He wants to provide for us and protect us and give us a life that is overflowing with goodness. That's what the good shepherd wants for us. And today we're going to focus on John chapter 8. So if you have your version apps, your Bibles, you can follow along on the screen with us. We're going to talk about John chapter 8, starting in verse 12. Jesus spoke to the people once more, and he said this, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness, because you will have the light that can lead to the life. Could there be a better illustration than that? Again, shepherd we don't get, right? I mean, are any of you shepherds? Do any of you have a flock of sheep out there somewhere? Not, not many of us. If any of you do, that's kind of cool, actually, but I don't think many of us do. We don't get the shepherd thing, but we can get the light thing because all of us understand what it means to be light in a dark place. We understand that illustration. Is anybody here afraid of the dark? Oh, come on. Raise your hands. Yeah, thank you. Some honest, a few honest people in here. Anybody still sleep with the light on? I'm 57. I wish I could. I can't. I'll explain that in a a minute as well. Joellen, she has to be in complete darkness to sleep. I mean, complete darkness. So if the hall light is on and the bedroom door is shut and there's a little bit of light that comes under the crack in the door, I better get my butt out of bed and shut the hall light off. It's just the way it works in our family. I mean, maybe, maybe the outside light comes on, it's a security light, and it might come on with the wind or whatever, but here's the deal. My primary bedroom, there's a door that goes into the, 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 the kind of sink room, and then there's another door that goes into the shower bathroom type room, and there is a window in the bathroom type room. And so if the light happens to come on on the outside and shines in that window into the shower room, that door had better be closed enough so there's not even a resemblance of light coming through. She might be a vampire. I'm not sure... I'm just guessing here. I mean, even we have a TV in our bedroom. And you know the little green light that says this TV has power to it. This little itty bitty teeny tiny green light. I have to unplug the TV so that little green light does not keep her awake. Why? Again, vampire is still an option. I'm not sure. But you're looking at that and you're going, okay, is anybody else afraid of the dark? You should be. If you're not afraid of the dark, why not? It's dark. You can't see. You don't know what's around you. You don't know what's out there. It's scary to be in the dark. I mean, when it's really dark and you can't see anything because you need some light. I mean, for me, I might get out of bed because it's so dark in our room and I need some light. I might step on a dog or three or four laying on the floor. Or I might walk out of the bathroom into the middle of the night to something like this. My wife shining a flashlight in her face just to scare me. All right? Now, you need some light to illuminate the things around you. You you just do. But lights, what they do is 
they take away the darkness. I mean, that's, that's a pretty obvious thing, right? I mean, that's what light does, right? It chases darkness out of the room. It, it just has to leave. There's no other choice. When there's light in the room, the darkness leaves. Have you ever watched one of those really scary movies? And you know it's a scary movie when you're watching it because things have already happened. But the teenagers typically are walking into the house where the bad person is, the killer is. And you're just going, don't, don't go into the house. Don't, don't. You know, you know he's in there. Don't go into the house. So what do they do? They go into the house. And they bypass the light switch that is right by the front door. And I always want to yell, turn the light on, please. Just turn the... And then what do they do? They bypass the light switch, and they head straight to the basement door. Straight. I don't know how they know where it is, but it's a movie. So they go straight to the basement door. And they don't turn the light on when they go down the basement steps. At least they could see what's going to happen to them. If they could light up the room, it would be good. But they don't do that. They leave the light off and they walk down the steps and bad things happen. I don't get that. Just turn the light on. The light will chase the darkness out of the room. And the light for your life will chase the darkness out of your life as well. It just does. It chases it away. And we need to understand, again, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. That light will bring some light to your life to the issues that you're dealing with, to the situations that you're in, to the struggles that you're having. Because light guides us. It's what it does. Anybody ever make really bad decisions when it's dark outside? Anybody? Am I the only one that makes bad decisions at nighttime? No, why? Because when it's nighttime out, we think we can get away with things that we can't get away with in the daylight. Why? Nobody's going to see us. Nobody's going to know who we are. Nobody's going to know what we do. Why? Because it's nighttime. And they can't tell who I am because they're in the dark, I'm in the dark, and they'll never know that it was me. Now, now maybe, again, we think we can just get away with things. But, but in January, this past January, it was a nice night. It was like 70 degrees in January one night. And I'm outside in my yard at like 6 o'clock at night, and it is pitch dark. I hate that, but that's what it was. Six o'clock, completely dark, no moon, clouds out, but it was warm. And I'm walking in my yard towards my my back barn, and and I'm walking, all of a sudden I heard some steps, and I stopped. I took a step, it took a step. I took a step, it took a step. I took a step, it took a step, and then it took two and three and four steps, and I just froze. I can't see anything. I froze, and I started backing up, and I backed up enough to hit the concrete on my driveway, to which I took a nice little fall, and I pulled out my phone, and I turned the flashlight on to see, guess what? A deer was standing there. Now, the deer didn't last long, because as soon as that light hit that deer, it jumped like 13 feet in the air, and I'm not sure who was more scared, me or the deer, but the deer took off, and I'm left laying on the ground. You know, it's like that light illuminated what it was because I didn't know. I didn't know if it was a person. It sounded like two feet. I couldn't tell, but the light let me know exactly what was there. Now, you have to have some light to guide you because it's really scary to make decisions in the dark. 
And how many of us make decisions in the dark? A lot of us. We just do. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. I came to show you the way, to guide you, to keep you safe, to bring light to the dark moments in your life so that you can see and know the decisions that you're making. As you read through the Bible, you can see the light contrasted with darkness. In the beginning, God spoke, and he created, he said, let there be what? Light. And light was separated from the darkness. There's your first separation of light and dark. And all through the Bible, God is associated with light, and our spiritual enemy, Satan, is associated with darkness. I mean, you get that, right? It's still the same today. The guy in the white cowboy hat's the good guy. Jake, nice white cowboy hat. The guy in the black cowboy hat, we don't have any bad guys in here today. You know, it's like good and bad, right? I mean, that, that, that's what you get. You get good and evil. You get light and dark. You have God and you have Satan. They're separated in those kind of ways. Jesus said this in Acts 26. I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I am sending you to them to open up their eyes and turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Again, you see that contrast between darkness and light. Jesus makes the life-changing statement of I am the light of the world. That changes everything for us. I am the light of of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So Jesus brought, he brought this light into the darkness, which is all of our places. We all live in the dark at times. And I'm going to walk through a couple of situations of Jesus shining light on dark places. The first one is Luke chapter 7, starting in verse 36. Now, one of the Pharisees, his name is Simon. Again, if you watch The Chosen, you'll pick up on some of these scenarios, too. He invited Jesus to have dinner with him. That's, that's really significant, because back in their, verse 34, just a few verses before this, the ver Pharisees had accused Jesus of being a glutton and a drunkard, because he hung out with tax collectors and sinners. They called him a friend of sinners. I wouldn't mind having that title. Hey, there's Scott. He's a friend of sinners. That's not a bad thing, you know? Some people may look at that in a kind of an odd way, but a friend of sinners. Simon needed some light to shine, the Pharisees to shine deep inside of his soul and light up these character flaws that, that needed to change. So he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table when a woman who had lived a sinful life in that town King James Version says she was a harlot, she was a prostitute, she had less than a good sexual kind of, kind of reputation. She had some issues that Jesus could shine some light on so she could find some healing and some freedom. So when she learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster jar of perfume. Now, alabaster jars were incredibly expensive. All right, that's probably her retirement fund is what she's doing. She saved up and saved up and saved up, and it's full of really expensive perfume. And she stood behind him at his feet, weeping, and she began to wet his feet with her tears, and then she wiped them with her hair and kissed them and poured perfume on them. 
Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, he didn't say this out loud, he's thinking in his own mind. He said, if this man, thinking, if this man were a prophet, he would know who's touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. And I love this next verse, verse 40. Jesus answered him. He didn't say anything out loud. Jesus knew what he was thinking. He could hear his thoughts. He answered him. Simon, I have something to tell you. Okay, teacher, tell me. Shine some light on this situation for me. Jesus says two men owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him, owed him 500 denarii. Denarii was about a day's wage. And the other 50 denarii. Neither of them had the money to pay him back. So he canceled the debts of both. Now which man will love him more? I don't know, you tell me. You have a car loan out, and the bank says, oh, your loan's forgiven. Well, if you drive a 1982 Chevette, you're going, oh, thanks. You know, if you drive a 2023, I don't know, pick your car, Corvette, you're going to be really forgiven. You're going to be, wow, really? I mean, this is a $100,000 car versus a $2,000 car. Which, which, which of those people is going to love that banker more? Probably the person that had the $100,000 loan forgiven, right? It's the same thing in this scenario. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. He just kind of lit up one of Simon's deepest flaws, and that was Simon's pride. Then he towards, turned towards the woman, and he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house, and you did not give me water for my feet, which was a customary kind of thing. They wear sandals. They're walking on dirt dusty, muddy roads all the time. So you come in, your feet are nasty. Feet are nasty anyway. Your feet are nasty. And typically there'd be some water there for you to wash your feet so everything is good. He didn't provide that for him. That, that was like rolling out a, a welcome mat, but he didn't do that for Jesus. But she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss. Again, it was a common kind of customary kind of thing. Welcome to my house. Kind of be like a handshake today. But you didn't do this. But this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head. Again, it's a refreshing kind of thing to say, oh, just sit down and, and, and relax. But she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven. For she loved much. But he who has been forgiven little loves little. Jesus is saying, she knows. She knows she has a boatload of sins. She knows her past. She knows what her struggles are. She knows how she has lived, and she knows that now she's forgiven for that. But this self-righteous Pharisee thinks he's a pretty good guy. And Jesus is saying, only those who realize that they have racked up a lot of sin debt before God and then receive forgiveness, those are the ones that are extremely loving because they know what they've been forgiven for. I, I mean, you, you got to kind of look at people today and you go, okay, you know people that don't think they have any issues, that don't think they have a need for God's grace? If that's you, how do you thank God for God's grace if you don't think you really need it? Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Does he think he's God? Well, yes, he is. Jesus said to the woman, 
Your faith has saved you. Now go in peace. So are you more like Simon or more like this prostitute? Hmm. That's a tough question, isn't it? Are you more like Simon? You say, well, I showed up to the 1030 service at church today. I'm good. I dropped a $10 bill in that offering box in the back. I'm good. Matter of fact, yesterday at McDonald's, I paid for the guy's lunch behind me in line. I'm good. I don't need anything. I'm good. I, I, I got everything going the right way. I'm going the right direction. I'm good. My sins aren't anything. They're not bad. I'm good. And Jesus is saying, really? Those things are great. I mean, it's great that you're here today. It's great that you contributed to the kingdom today. It's great that you saw a need and you filled it yesterday. But here's some light from some from um, Isaiah 64, on who we are. We are all infected and impure with sin. When we proudly display our righteous deeds, we find that they are but filthy rags. Like autumn leaves, we wither and fall, and our sins, like the wind, sweep us away. That's the truth about you, and that's the truth about me. None of us are good enough. We can't be. That's where God's grace comes in. But we're not good enough to, 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 to get that, to receive that. We can't earn that. We just can't. Here's another time Jesus and his disciples, they're headed to Jerusalem, and they take a shortcut through this, this city called Samaria. If you're a Jew, Jews and Samaritans do not get along. So that's kind of an odd track for Jesus and his disciples to take. Jesus kind of hangs out about a mile out of town by this well, and the disciples go into town to grab some lunch, it's, it's midday, it's hot, and here comes a woman by herself to draw water. Now, when Jesus saw that by herself in the middle of the hardest part of the day, he knew that she's an outcast. Because when the women would come to draw water, that's one of the roles that women had, they would come and get the water for the day, that was a social gathering. That was the gossip time. That was the connect time. That was the word together time, so we can talk and bond and build relationship type time. But when she came in the middle of the day by herself, Jesus knew she's an outcast. She has a past. So he starts a conversation with her. Interesting. He offers her something called living water that was going to make her whole and make her free and make her productive in life. John 4, 15, the woman said to him, so give me this water so that I won't get thirsty Then have to keep coming here to draw water. And he told her, go call your husband and come back. He's kind of shining a light, again, on her deep flaws. I have no husband, she replied. And Jesus said to her, you're right when you say that you have no husband. The fact is you've had five husbands, and the man you have now is not your husband. And what you have said is quite true, sir, the woman said. I can see that you're a prophet. Again, he's shining some light on her issues, on the challenges that she has. Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back into town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? So they came out of the town and made their way towards him. And many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. 
Verse 42 is interesting. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know this man really is the Savior of the world. Friends, all of us need Jesus to shine some light on the dark places of our souls. And every person in here has some dark places in your soul that need some light shine on them. Every person in here. How about this? How about if Jesus were to come over to your place today? He said, hey, I'm going to come over and hang out with you for an afternoon. Anybody worried? I would be. I mean, Jesus just told this woman everything she had ever done, right? I'd be a little bit concerned about that. If Jesus comes to your house and he's going to illuminate those things in your life, that they're in the dark, hidden places, what would he illuminate? Would he see the lust? Would he see the pride? Would he see the cheating? Would he see the stealing? Would he see your brokenness? Psalm 139 says this, O Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know my thoughts from afar. You know every word before it's on my tongue. Once God has permission to light up the dark corners of your life, then he can clean them up. Then he can help you clean them up. And then it's time. Once those start getting cleaned up, then it's time. Don't miss this. It's time for you and it's time for me to start sharing that light. All right, once you're cleaned up on the inside, once this woman knew that God could be there and forgive her and knew everything about her, then she went and shared the light in that town. Then she was saying, look, everything this guy has done and, and knows about me, you got to share the light. Matthew 5, 14, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. I love the way the message translation puts this. Puts it in a different light. It says this, you're here to be light, bringing out the God colors in the world. God's not a secret to be kept. We're going public with this. As public as a city on a hill, it makes you, if, if I make you light bearers, don't you think that I'm going to hide you under a bucket? No. Do you think I'm putting you on a light stand now that I put you here on a hill on top of a light stand to shine? Yes. I didn't put you here to hide you. I put you here to shine that light over everyone that's around you. And if you're going to shine your light on the people around you, then maybe you need to look for situations where you're needed the most. Where is that for you? Hey, just a candle makes a huge difference in a dark room. Just a little bit of light. You don't have to be perfect. You just have to be forgiven. To light your light and light up a dark place. Did you ever think that maybe God planted you exactly where you are in this season of your life because he needed you to be a light? Where are you and how much of a light are you? Do you think that maybe God put you there? Think that maybe God needs you in that place at this moment to impact the world for him? Maybe he puts you exactly where you're working. 
You know, and I hate my job. Maybe God put you there for a reason. Maybe you look at your work a little bit differently so you can be a light. Exactly where you are. Maybe God puts you exactly where you are in school. High school, middle school, college. Maybe he puts you exactly where you are so that you can live a life that shines light on everyone else around you. Maybe you're in the family you're in right now because God needed your light to be there at this moment. That's tough for some of us. I know some of you are saying, Scott, you don't have any idea how dark this place is. You have no idea how dark my life, the life around me is. Here's the good news. The darker it is, the more bright your candle shines. Doesn't matter if it's a full flame. It doesn't matter if you're perfect because none of us are perfect. It doesn't matter what you've done because if you've been forgiven, you can shine a light to the people around you. That's the purpose. So shine. There was a survey of churches that asked this question. Why does the church exist? Why? 89% of people in that survey said the church's purpose is to take care of my and my family's needs. 11% said the purpose of the church is to impact and win the world for Jesus. Let me just say this. If you're in the 89% that think the reason this church exists is for you, you're going to be sadly disappointed. Because we're not here just for you. We're here to love you and support you and encourage you and to help your light shine bright. But it's not about us. It's about the people that need Jesus. That's why we exist. My wife got into an interesting debate on Facebook the other day. Now, she doesn't usually do this. She's in this service. I'm sorry, Joe. Um, there is a Facebook group for people that went to Bible college with us in the 80s. And <clears throat> it really is disheartening when you see people that are committed Christ followers that all they focus on and think about is themselves. And that's where some of these people are. It's all about them. It, it, it's all about, oh, I, I just, I've been searching for churches forever to find a church that doesn't turn the lights down at, during part of the service. And I can't find a church that doesn't turn the light down during part of the service. And I can't worship to that because that doesn't make me feel comfortable or safe. And, and if I don't feel comfortable or safe, then I need a safe place to go hide because, uh, you know, I just have to have that. And it's like, you are committed Christ followers. You are the light of the world. It doesn't matter what's happening around you. It doesn't matter whether there's lights on or no lights on or flashing lights or fog or whatever is happening in that worship experience. It doesn't matter because that shouldn't affect you. You're there to be representatives of Jesus. You're there to learn and to grow and develop and be a light for this world. Quit complaining about things that don't matter. And so my, life, my wife put something similar to that on the Facebook post to which I did not disagree with. I had to stop her from continuing to answer people that were kind of yelling at her on the Facebook post, but I didn't disagree with that. It's like quit 
Quit being like that. Quit hiding your light under this, this bucket and thinking it's only for you. Quit being focused on yourselves. Now, we have to be careful that we don't get into that mode around here. We have to be careful that we're not all about us because we're not. And the older a church gets, the more all about us it becomes. And that's not who we are, and that's never been who we are. We love you, and we're glad you're here, and we want to help you and serve you and pray for you and do everything we can for you. But we don't expect you to come here, sit here on a sunny morning and go, well, that's it, I've checked my box, I'm done. You're supposed to be the light of the world, and the world needs you. It needs you right now. Now, there are all kinds of people who need to know this simple message that Jesus loves them, he's there for them, he, he cares for them, he wants to provide a hope for them and forgiveness for them. He, there are people that need that. Here's the problem. This is the world. It's a full circle. All we see in the world is our little slice of that circle, our little slice of the pie. That's all we see. That's all we really know. That's all we really experience. And the problem is, our view is so narrow sometimes that we don't see beyond who we are. We can't see it. Here's the fact. Here's the truth. In the rest of the world, the real world, and in this church, there are people struggling to hang on to their marriage just one more day. And that might be you. Listen, if that's you, you're not alone. We love you. We care for you. We want to help you work through those things. You're not alone, but that's the truth. It's not just out there. It's in here, too. We're struggling. There are people in the world and in this church struggling to hang on to sobriety just one more day because their addictions have just overwhelmed them. We love you if that's you. We're not going to leave you alone. But understand, that's out there and that's in here. There are people in the real world and in this church struggling to hang on to their emotions because we're emotionally broken currently in our culture. There are single people and divorced people and widowed people out there in the world and in this church who watch families leave and load up in their minivans and are broken on the inside because their families are broken and they don't have that to go to anymore. You need to understand that. There are parents in the real world and in this church that are struggling to hang on while their kids are living lifestyles that they hate because it's destroying them and they want the best for them, but they can't change their kids and they're praying constantly for them. But that's there and that's inside of here. It's breaking their hearts. There are kids in the real world and in this church that are struggling to survive because of the abuse that their parents have heaped on them. There are people in the world and in this church struggling to hold on to their business just one more month or their car just one more month or their house just one more month. There are people in the real world and in this church that are saying, could someone please leave a light on for me? Because we need to be able to see and have someone illuminate our brokenness so that we don't keep falling into the same trap 
time and time and time again. Someone please leave a light on. And guess what? That someone is you. It's not someone else. It's not someone out there somewhere. It's you. No matter how broken you are, no matter how hurt you are, no matter what your past is, you are the light that Jesus gives to shine to the people around you. You're the light of the world. So let your light shine that people will know that there's a Father in heaven that loves them, that forgives them, that wants to provide hope for them. Because no one else is going to do that if you don't. Be the light. Be the light. Be the light. Father God, I pray for everyone in this room and everyone watching online. God, may they be challenged to show your light to the people around them. The dark places, the dark corners, and even in places that are lit, may we be light to those people that are hurting and broken and in need. God, that's our calling. That's our challenge. That's what Jesus said for us to do. May we show the light of the world's light to the people around us. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.